0: Alright, it's really good to see everybody. I want to thank y'all for coming and being a part of class. I think y'all got me this week and next week, so we're going to try to finish up in the next week, try to finish Luke 13. Um, as we are going through a harmony of the Gospels, we are studying the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels, right? What did we say that means? What does it mean when we say a harmony of the Gospels? What are we talking about? Yes, they, all, they all explain...
1: The same thing in a different
0: way good so all matthew mark luke and john are all uh, written from different author's perspective but they are all inspired by the holy spirit to write what they wrote so that we can know who jesus is right and not only that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us the details of the earthly ministry of Jesus from the time he was born of the Virgin Mary until the time he died, rose again from the dead, and ascended into heaven. So when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get that story. And when we harmonize those four books, that means we take those four books and we teach it all together as one teaching, as a chronological teaching of the life of Christ. And so at the t- we're at a point in our study now where we Jesus is doing some parabolic teaching. And we did we talked about that a lot last week. Parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Um today we're going to get a, away from parabolic teaching and we're going to see Jesus heal a woman. We're going to see Jesus heal. And if you remember, one of the things that the Old Testament prophecies prophesied about the messiah the one who would come to save was that he would have the power to heal blindness deafness that the dead would be raised and so jesus through the power of the holy spirit through the power of his father through his power as jesus is going along he is expressing the fact that he is who the scriptures say he is and the healings that he is doing are proof of that we'll get a little more of that as we get in the class but let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and you can go ahead and turn to your in your Bibles to Luke 13 um, as we uh, get ready to get back into these parables again, um, or, or these teachings again. So let's go ahead and open with prayer and uh, begin our class. Father, thank you so much for the many blessings that you pour on our lives. It is so good to be among our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to open up your word and to study your truth. We thank you for this ministry that has been provided for us. We thank you for the, the food that has been provided for us today for lunch, the hands that are prepared, the, the kind volunteers who took time out of their day to provide us with lunch. Thank you for that. And we thank you for a chance now to come and to study your word. Your word is truth. And, Lord, in this world we live in, we so desperately need this truth. There's not a single one of us in this room or in the uh, within the sound of my voice today that is not struggling with sin, that is not struggling with uh, suffering or pain or or worries or doubts or fears or hopes and dreams. We all have things going on in our life that we, we desperately need your truth to lighten our eyes so that we can know you better. And so, Father, I pray that as we study your word now, you will do just that, that you will open our hearts and our minds and our lives and our wills to your truth, Help us to receive that truth. Help us to receive that truth. Believe that truth. Receive that truth. And and give us the strength and the willingness to walk in those truths and share them with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's look at Luke chapter 13. Our text for today is going to be Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Luke chapter 13, verse 10 through 17. It says this. And as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, this is Jesus teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double, and she could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, "'Woman, you are freed from your sickness.'" And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made a wreck again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And uh, the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all of the glorious things being done by him. All right, so now what we'll do is we'll go back through. We're going to break this passage down. Uh, Let's start with that first verse there. It says, now, it says, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, this, we hadn't seen Jesus in a little while in our classes. We've been studying. We hadn't seen him in a synagogue in a little while, have we? All right. What is a synagogue? First, let's go ahead and get that out of the way. What is a synagogue?
1: Their temple.
0: Uh it's not a temple and it, well I guess it could be in a sense but where is the Jewish temple at this time where's Jerusalem. the Jewish temple the temple is in Jerusalem so every year all of the Jews would come three times a year and wherever they lived if they lived up in Galilee where Jesus is they had to walk 60 miles to get down to Jerusalem to go to the temple what was the point of going to the temple Three times a year, they had to go to Church the temple to, to, all, to bring their sacrifice and offer sacrifices to God. Good. What is the purpose of a sacrifice? To
1: cover your sin.
0: Okay. All right. Good. What else? Stay in
1: place
0: of your sin. To, to give something in place of your sins. Good. All right. Are all sacrifices sin offerings? No. Oh, there's some sacrifices that are called thanksgiving offerings, right? What is a Thanksgiving offering? Why would you give an offering of Thanksgiving? For all you, you have. To
1: remain blessed and...
0: well, Not just so you could remain blessed, but as an expression of what David, you Thank- just said, to be thankful for what God has done for you. In the modern era when we live, what would be an example of a Thanksgiving
1: offering? Offering? You mean other than Thanksgiving Day?
0: Yeah, yeah. What would be an example of making a offering of thanksgiving in our modern churches? Uh. Good, Your tithes and offerings. Why do you give your tithe? Do you do it so that you can be please God? No. Yeah. So, in a sense, right? Do you do it so that you can go to heaven? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> right? right. I, I, we have to add that uh, Michael is a Catholic, and they actually do believe that giving some money is going to get you a little further. In, in life, in eternal life, right but the point being is, is that our offerings, these sacrifices of thanksgiving, uh, is a tithe of sacrifice? Yes. It should be, it should be something that cost you something, like you should have to think about it, when you put in the money you're saying, Lord, you've given me a job you've given me help, you've given me this opportunity to make this money, and now I'm going
1: to give just a small portion of it back to you but it's support too, I mean when you, when you tithe to the church, you're not just Giving money, you are supporting the institution, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Technically or realistically,
0: that is what the the point of it is. Is you're thankful and you're giving this offering to the church so that they can use it to 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 build the kingdom of God to glorify God. All right. Now, does everybody give tithes thankfully?
1: No, no,
0: no. no. Right. And here's the reality: if you have to think about it. If, it, if it's grieving you to put that money in the offering plate, don't put it in there. God is not looking at how much money you're putting in the offering plate. What is he really looking at? Your heart. Your heart. <laughs> right? And so there's some greedy givers out there. I know plenty of people that will do unto others so that they will do for them. They give with a hook. The transaction. Yeah. They give with a hook. Okay, I'm going to help you out today, but the reason I'm helping you out is because I'm going to need something from you. Right? I'm going to get some leverage on you by doing this. And you're never going to get leverage on God, guys. Right? So, uh, the, the temple, let's get back to the text. The temple was a place that they would go to offer these offerings. All right? A synagogue was not necessarily in Jerusalem proper. A synagogue would be a local meeting house somewhere out in the community. And every Sabbath, all of the people would gather into the synagogue, and they would read the scriptures together, they would pray together, and they would talk together. What does that kind of sound like? Church. It kind of sounds like our churches today. <laughs> and there is kind of a parallel between that. It's a place it's a, it's a. place where people of like mind gather together and worship God. It's like Rome. Uh, No, Rome would be more of the organized church's version of the temple in Jerusalem, right? It's the place you go and offer sacrifices. It's where the high priest is, right? There's a very close comparison between the early church and uh, the church in Jerusalem
1: there that uh, Jesus is. uh, Well, is it kind of a meeting house also?
0: Yes, yeah, and so you, they'd gather there in the week. And if you remember when Paul, every new city that Paul would go into, he would go to the local synagogue and he would share with them out of the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. And a lot of places they got him beat up, didn't they? Right? Okay, so they Jesus would gather in the synagogue. Why do you think Jesus gathered in the synagogue?
1: It's a common, common
0: place. That... Because he's a Jewish and that's what Jewish people do they gather in the synagogues but when he would go there he almost every time that Jesus would go to the synagogue he would wind up getting in there would be a a tiff there would be turmoil why like because they, weren't following God, they yeah, were following John. yeah they they had the scriptures but, but they, they were didn't... so bound up in their traditions and their their mindset That when the real truth of the scriptures came and and confronted them, they rejected it. We run into this every day in our churches today, don't we? -hmm. Right? People get caught up in their traditions and they set aside the word of God for their traditions.
1: But in a way, it would be like if Jesus came back today. And there'd be a lot of people going, I don't
0: know about this. Yeah, that's very true. And not only that, but he is here and he's in those places and, and I've had, I have friends I have pe- friends even brothers in Christ will say well I don't re- necessarily go to a church I'm not a member of a local church because you don't have to be a member of a local church and the reality is there's a bunch of hypocrites in the church and like I don't associate with those people but did Jesus associate with those hypocrites mm-hmm. yeah yeah he associated with everybody he said he he, didn't come he went in and he confronted them with the truth
1: with the, he didn't father. go in
0: there, right, there was a couple times he actually went in with Roshan and run them out of his father's house, right?
1: Yeah.
0: right? But most of the time he would just simply go there and reason with them through the scriptures and it always ended in a, in a, a, a confrontation because he was representing the truth and he was exposing their non-truths. There's a there's a pastor Steve Steve Lawson uh, he preaches you find him on the internet or whatever but he made a statement I just read a statement he made the other day he said he said the problem with our preachers today is nobody wants to kill them.
1: What did he mean by that? Well, he means that he they're not offending people enough with their Preaching and so on to say these are things that are wrong that you were doing. Right.
0: The, remember, the gospel is offensive to the natural man. That's what the Bible teaches us. You don't have to like, be well, offensive and kind of rude and go way in way. and bully people around and like uh, embarrass <laughs> people and you, like you don't have to be that kind of preacher. <clears throat> but the point that uh, Doctor Lawson is making is, if people were really preaching the truth of the Scriptures, then there would be turmoil there would be people being angry and throwing preachers out of their churches. And how many churches are there in this country where there's only 20 members in that church and they're all of like two families that have been there for 80 years. And they'll get a preacher in and then in in two years they throw him out and get another preacher. Why? Because they're set in their ways. They like the way they do things and they don't want somebody coming in and telling them any different.
1: And they're paying for the church.
0: And they're paying for it. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And what do you not think that that's probably what was going on in a lot of these local synagogues? They had their little group, and if you come in there and, and start teaching truths that's contrary to what they believe, then you're going to run into trouble. So Jesus, this is one of the first times that we see Jesus in a synagogue in quite a while. And it's funny how that every time that Jesus would... Uh, mingle with uh, the uh, lower class of society with the prostitutes and with the tax collectors and with the the drunkards. when he would go with these people, a lot of people would receive him and believe him and become followers of Christ. And yet the very times that he would go into what was the proper religion of the day, the the very time that he would go in and associate with God's people, they were the very ones that would jump on him and attack him and try to kill him.
1: Well the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all that already knew you know and I don't know about the tax collectors, but you know they already knew that they were outside the, the norms and the, and the, the Bible didn't teach to do that right. you know but they were they had the wisdom to understand no, I am a sinner. But that's what so many people get from a church is the shield of, of you know, I'm not a sinner. I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm, you know, I'm good, you know, and it's a facade. Right.
0: And we have, that's exactly right. David. And we have to remember what these people are protecting when they're hating Jesus. What are they protecting? They're protecting their way of life, their, their, their social status. You're not going to come into my synagogue and tell, I'm the one that reads the scriptures every week in this synagogue, and you're not going to come in and tell me what they say. You know, they're protecting their social status. You know, these Pharisees, these scribes, these doctors, these lawyers of religion, of, of the scriptures, would come in and, and Jesus said, know you not the scriptures. And these are the very ones that have the PhDs of theology hanging on their, their mantles. Now, before we get to pointing our finger at that crowd, we need to remember that each and every one of us in this room... Should have areas in our lives that are offended by this truth. Remember what what's the old saying? You point one finger at somebody else, and there's three, uh, three or four pointing back at you, right? So you're just as guilty, right? And and I I have always, well not always, but in the, in the in my ministry, one of my desires is to make sure that I preach to myself before I preach to anybody else like uh in, in the in the in the world that we live in in the corporate world that we live in one of the good qualities of management and leadership is that you're not willing you're not going to ask somebody else to do something that you have not done or willing to do yourself right and so the truth of the matter is I find everyday truths in these scriptures that offend me because I am outside of God's will in areas of my thoughts my life the way that I live like it it, it should be an individual uh conviction going on in all of our lives every day and i hope that one of the things that um, all of our local churches can learn is we're the ones that get bound up when wearing the nice suits and and this is my social structure and this is where i go every sunday and after that we go here and eat and this is the way that i live my life and when god's truth comes in he disrupts that He's going to bring people into your community that aren't like you.
1: Well, any Christian that thinks or person to claim themselves to be a Christian who thinks they're sinless is obviously yeah. totally not in this world.
0: Right. And and not all of them think they're sinless, but a lot of times we get this thought, well, at least I'm not him. You see?
1: <laughs> not like that. Right. At least I'm yeah. not that yeah. guy. But yeah.
0: well, sin is sin. Yeah, yeah. So, Jesus goes into this synagogue, and he's teaching in the synagogue. What do you think he's teaching, guys? The
1: Torah.
0: Yeah. Well, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. The way God is. Good. So, how could Jesus, or Paul, or Peter, or James, or John, preach John three sixteen? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Because
1: it said though, um, it says in the Old Testament to love that neighbor as thyself. Okay,
0: but how could some? How could the Apostle Paul stand up in front of a group of people and say, "Turn your Bible to the Book of we Luke, could.
1: chapter 13"?
0: Could he do that? Could Paul have went to a group of people in a synagogue and said, "Turn in your Bible to Luke, chapter 13"? It didn't exist. No, because it was going to be about 60 years before it was written, right? It wasn't written. All right, but David's right. You could turn to the Book of Deuteronomy and announce to Shema, hear O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. You will love him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength and you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. That was something that every Jewish person preached every they, they said that prayer twice a day, in the morning and evening every day. Of course they, they
1: were preaching it but they weren't living it.
0: Yes. Well that's who exactly, does? That, that's exactly right. And so when Jesus comes in to teach what is he teaching? He's teaching the scriptures. Well, he's teaching Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First Samuel, First Kings, First Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, so Job, Psalm, Proverbs. Right? He's teaching the Old Testament because that's their scriptures. Mm-hmm. And what that should convict you and I of is, is that we should be able to go back into those books and see the gospel just as clearly if we truly have a heart given to us by God and the Spirit of God lives within us, the one who wrote the, that breathed these words into the men that wrote them. If He lives inside of us. We should be able to get into the Old Testament and see the gospel message clearly now. The veil of Moses should have been pulled away from our face, and we should be able to see the scriptures rightly. But see, Jesus is teaching from the scriptures, okay? Now, that's that first verse. Now, what I want you to notice is this. I'm expositionally teaching you today. Expository preaching means that I'm going verse by verse through a uh, scripture, and I'm teaching you. What you'll find in most of our local churches nowadays is tradition. You'll see them come in, they'll read two passages of Scripture from you from a text, and then they'll preach about their mama's limp or something for the next two hours. You see what I mean? In other words, they read the Scriptures, and then everything's about what? Them. And you. See, a lot of our preaching is what is known as moral uh, uh, moral therapeutic deism. That's a big fancy term for this. This is what God can do for you. He can make you feel better. You can be a good person. You can have money. You can, God is going to bless you. And those, some of those statements are true. He does bless us. But I want you to remember something. This is very important. These people who are rejecting Jesus Christ are the ones that are looking for a Messiah that's going to come in and bless them with material wealth and set them up to rule and reign over the world. And the reason they rejected Jesus is because Jesus came in and said, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be born again. You must die to yourself and your own desires. You must take up your cross and follow me. Right? We don't preach that in our churches nowadays. We preach this. If you come, we got a children's church for your kid, and they can come in, and we'll give them cookies and juice every week. <laughs> not only we offer daycare services, and not only that, we have Internet provided for you so that you can look on your smartphones while the preacher's preaching. <laughs> we we got all of these things for you. Look what we are offering you. And these groups would get into their little community, and they would build themselves up that they are the center of the universe. Right? Uh, we and God again I'm not pointing at I'm pointing at me cuz I have found myself on my smartphone while the preacher's preaching <laughs> Not me <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Lori Right Lori said she's never looked at her phone in church
1: I stood up front and Pastor Terry's right. he, he could
0: see if yeah. I was on my phone. All right. But Lord, there, has, has, no, let me no, ask you this. No, no, has has so your so ring back? ring no, everyone off, off of church? No, no, oh, Okay. No.
1: All right. I've got a lot of sins, but i got to say that I don't think I've done I that. All the time. No. Okay. <clears <clears <throat> You understand the point I'm i make. I'm
0: not doing it for your point. I'm doing it because I don't want Pastor Terry to see me. <laughs> well, since this is being recorded, I want Pastor Terry to know this. There's been several times in Bible study where your ringtone has interrupted our I know. <laughs> Did we listen to this? Yeah. Oh, All right. God.
1: No. Okay, now, again.
0: I won't interrupt my phone, Pastor Terry. All right, uh, again. Again, Now I want you to notice what's happened. We're having fun and we're enjoying life And that's a good thing Yeah. But the truth of the matter is How often do we start talking about the scriptures And then we run off talking about ourselves Oh all the time And you know There's somebody's phone right? All right. Now Stanley, Why is that <laughs> Why is that Because the word of God is truth And the word of God exposes What is not true in us and we like for people to coat, pat our head and tell us how good we are, but we do not like for somebody to come in and criticize us.
1: Well, dwelling on your sins constantly is depressing. It certainly so God, is. God does right? it for me because last night I
0: got an argument with somebody and I just
1: I couldn't even relax, and so I called him and apologized for my behavior.
0: But the Word of so God, God does not the Word of God does not teach us to dwell on our sins. It teaches us. To dwell repentance. on the one who died to take them away. You see? And we, so the law definitely convicts us of our sin. But the point of the law is not for us to get it right. The point of the law is for us to recognize we can't get it right and take those wrongs to but the cross.
1: Part, part of getting it right isn't that trying to do right? Not trying
0: trusting his righteousness and by trusting his righteousness the, his righteousness will come
1: out in you it will save you, it will pay the debt but aren't, isn't part of repenting turning around isn't it being trying to change those those, feet, are, those,
0: those are fruitions of repentance
1: at work in right. you all right,
0: and we're gonna. I want you to keep that thought because that's a really good thought, and it's gonna get a little more into where we're going next. But let me get Lori your question. So, so like when I'm praying, sometimes I feel like I'm not doing it right because I'll pray to God and say Father and then in Jesus name. But Jesus is the one that died, and I know they're all God. I get that. But should I be praying to Jesus, to the Father, to the Holy Spirit? Yes.
1: All mm-hmm.
0: right. So that's okay. All right. Now listen to that I want to I want to address her question. Listen to what she that said. A good question. No, listen to what she said. When I pray, I feel. I do. All right. Stop. Prayer is not a feeling.
1: Well, she's expressing no, no, feel I, I that is I, 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 as a and I, the sincerity
0: the, sincer- the sincerity of our prayers it's not based on how we feel or what we think. It's based on
1: God's looking at our heart.
0: Right, but I'm addressing my... How she, I address when
1: she said feel, prayer. I feel that's what Everybody. I'm
0: doing. I feel like I might be doing it wrong because I'm addressing the Father and kind of not addressing Jesus because he's the one that died on the cross for me. So God's son. But God knows know everything. And when you pray to the Father, you pray to the Son, you pray to the Holy okay. Spirit. You pray so, God is one. So I am not wrong. It, it, when you pray to God, you can never be wrong. So, wrong. So, okay, so When you're praying to God, in the spirit and in truth you cannot be wrong the reason that we have these feelings of doubt could be coming from several different things one it could be coming from the devil because you don't want you praying and enjoying your relationship with your heavenly father another thing is is that maybe there is some conviction in your heart that your heart is not right and you're not approaching God in the proper context the proper context being that Jesus is the one that is interceding for you with the father and it's the spirit of God that interprets your prayers and gets to the heart of the matter for you so I he he know you should pray without right, ceasing pray and let, let him out? let him work it out so when I pray I pray to God I don't
1: it's three uh, persons
0: yeah so that's what I always thought so I was like I can't be wrong if I say god god please you know whatever yeah. that particular prayer so now, I have, Lori, of course,
1: has confused me again. Oh Lord! <laughs> <laughs> so when
0: I just say pray to God, I don't need to. Yeah. I, I, so, I'm calling for prayer. So here, let's, let's 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 have to worry about let's, that. Some, let's summarize <laughs> this big question. <laughs> the effectiveness of your prayer is not going to ever be based on your understanding or grasp of the Trinity. Mm. Because if you could understand or grasp the Trinity, you would be God. Okay. Use that as a way to humble yourself before the one who you are approaching. And know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit always hear your prayers okay. if they're in, in spirit and truth. Okay. If your prayers are in spirit and truth, that means the Holy Spirit is the one praying with you and through you and assisting you with your prayers. And the reason they're doing that is because you, have, you can go boldly before the throne of God because you're a child of God and the blood of Christ covers your sins. You see, so it's not your job to understand the Trinity or how that prayer is working and relating
1: to God. Okay. Yeah, like you, if you could, if we can understand that, we would be God. So when you call the main line, the operator will put your call to the pro- proper party. Yeah. Yes. You had you had a question. And
0: we and we got it. I mean, what's, what time we got? Okay, we, we got, we're making good on time. in away to pray? I thought I just... this. Praying just when you reach out to God. Yeah, so there are times the Bible te- Jesus teaches us that when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't go into the synagogue and stand up in front of everybody and say, Everybody look at me and pray. Uh, um, you'll notice sometimes preachers will pray for too long. Like and they just <laughs> rattle it on. And not only that, but one of the things that one of the worst things that irks me when I hear somebody praying is when they preach their sermon again through their prayer. Or like when they start preaching to you through their prayer, and so because instead of addressing God, who are they addressing? They're not praying to God; they're praying to the people that are hearing the prayer, right? So the audience or the the what they're striving to reach with their prayer is not heaven,
1: but the people that are listening. So let's to back him. to the hypocrite in the church, no doubt, and the synagogue who's saying, "God, thank you that I'm not, I'm not like this." Yeah, no doubt. Tactical. So,
0: um, but. He also tells us, so we don't pray... There's nothing in the world wrong with public prayer. Before we started this Bible study today, we had a prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. God answered those prayers. Jesus said that when you pray, go into your closet and pray. In other words, get alone apart from others and pray. That's because you're not intimidated by what somebody else thinks. Right. And so there are times... Paul tells us to pray without without ceasing. So, uh, for example... Uh, When I got here today, when I got out of my car and was walking in, I was praying for our Bible study. I wasn't doing it out loud. I wasn't holding my hands up so all the people out here in Calvary's parking lot could see me being all religious. But I, (laughs) And not only that, I did not bow my head and close my eyes because I would have walked into the azalea bushes and fell over and looked like a fool. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, you weren't waving your hands, were you? I wasn't waving. All I was
0: doing in my heart, I was humbly bowing my head and asking God to bless all of us today as we study His Word. like And so, I did that without between my car and the door. Right? There are times when I'm in a grocery store, when I work at work, and uh, I feel a temptation for lust. Like, I, I get, uh, you know, some crazy will come up and my mind will go into the gutter. And I'll bow my head and say, God, I'm not supposed to be thinking like that. Help me to change my thoughts. Right? So... That's a prayer. There are times when I'm laying in my bed at night and I fall asleep praying. There are times when I wake up in the morning and my first immediate thoughts are prayer. Prayer is not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. And so God is not looking necessarily at the physical bowing of your knees, which is something that we should do at times because men do not like to bow to anybody. But He's looking at the the bowing of your heart. Is your heart truly humble before Him? Are you brought low before him? That's the way we should pray. All right. So, so let's. Is it wrong to ask the angels and saints? To yes. For you. Yes. I, I'm not. I, and I don't even want to laugh if about that. I don't,
1: him I, I don't even did. want to laugh. Because Jesus already well, paid well, the price for you going directly to God. what I'm saying. Well, so. you're, hurting,
0: you're you're putting them on the same level as Jesus. You're putting you're putting it's something created. you're putting something on in the creation on a level that only the Creator qualifies. I am talking about like if I say, Hey Ryan, would you pray for me? i got a really tough week coming And on. I will. Is and I will pray for you? for you. No, that's, that's not wrong. wrong no. but, I if, but, pray to anybody. but if but if you pray <laughs> but if you pray to you, grandma in heaven say hey grandma will you go speak to jesus for me and help me out with this problem i'm having you've got a problem then because you're praying to the creation and not the creator anytime that you are praying to the creation you are worshiping an idol angels. angels are creation right, and saints. right. Creation. yeah you don't pray yeah. to the saints we don't pray to saint peter yeah. we don't pray to saint paul yeah. we don't pray to mary all of those people peter saint paul mary uh, they're all dead. And, they're dead. and the reason that they are dead is because they are temporal uh, beings and they have a creaturely body and a creaturely spirit and they died because of sin. Alright? And we do not pray to the creation. We don't pray to the sun, the moon, the stars. Anything in the creation is not going to get us closer to God. But what you're missing, I'm not praying to them. I'm asking them to pray for me. Just like you're pr- That's what you're doing. Pull up <laughs> it's a little worth that Like, yeah, I know we can get it. Ask you right. so, uh the Jewish people used to, uh there was a lot of Jewish people that used to pray to angels too. Like and there's a there's a there's a lot that goes on there. But even at the tomb of Jesus when they, when they fell down on their knees when they saw the angels they said no don't no, pray don't, to us we're the creatures angels just like you told them don't do that don't do that you pray to right. Jesus well, but that's scripture and then there are people who have allowed their traditions to override scripture
1: yeah
0: yeah they and said hey well Jesus that. is so busy he ain't got time to answer my prayer. so I'll pray to his mom she can help me out He's omnipresent. So So, again, let let me answer that. let Let me answer that definitively and clearly. When we pray, we are never to pray to something in the that is created. That includes all humanity and all angels. That includes the sun, the moon, the stars, birds, bees, flowers, trees. The only thing we are to pray, the only person that we are to pray to is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's it. No, nothing else. And
1: when you pray Anything to God, else is idolatry. When you pray to God, you're praying to all three. Yes. All right. All right. Now so
0: now let's get to that's verse one uh verse 10 let's get to verse 11 because we only got 20 minutes now to get the rest of the class down. all right there was a woman for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit and she was bent double she could not straighten up all right so what's wrong with this woman she's sick what's wrong with her Rickets. huh she could well um have you ever seen like an elderly senile person that can't
1: Mm -hmm. i'm getting more like that they can't they They can't look up
0: so they have a name for it it. so this woman has some kind of spinal issue or some kind of arthritic issue or some kind of issue that causes her body to be bent over where she can't stand up and be upright all right now what is, is it osteoporosis is it because she didn't get enough milk in her diet Is it because she's a wicked, evil person? No,
1: no. Well, it says a spirit, doesn't it? It
0: said it was caused by a spirit. So one of the things, there's a couple things I want to bring up and, and, and make points of. We've seen passages of Scripture in the past in our class here where the disciples asked Jesus, well, why was that man born blind? Was he a sinner or was it his parents that caused him to be born blind? In other words, there is this mindset that your evil will bring sickness upon you. That is actually true in some cases. All right? Um, Remember what Paul said when we take communion. There there have been times at my church where I've not went forward and taken communion because my heart was not in the right place. Paul said if you go up and drink of the cup unworthily, you drink death upon yourself. You bring sickness and death upon yourself. What, What was the point he's trying to make? Well, in my church, we all get up and go up and get our... Cup and bread and come back and sit down. What are you doing? You're you're making a profession of faith in front of all of the rest of your church family that Christ has died for you, that His blood was shed for you, and that the the bread the bread was His body, the the wine is, is His blood, and that you are partaking of Christ in doing this. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, if if it was if it was just because we were sinners, none of us would ever be. In other words, if we have sin, and that's the thing that keeps us from going forward to To take communion we got a problem because nobody except Jesus would be worthy to go down to the table and get the bread and the wine the point of the bread and wine is what that his body and his blood have been broken and shed for you and now that gives you the gracious gift of the righteousness of Christ and the ability to come forward before the rest of your family and say I'm a child of God and I have partaken of his body and and his blood and that I am one with him But Paul warned that if you're at a point in your life, like if so, in other words, if if uh, if you are under the discipline of another church, if there's a church around that you've been going to, you are a member of and you got kicked out because you was messing with the church secretary or something and, and they kicked you out of the church, they did that so that you would repent and turn back to Christ and be forgiven. But if you just leave that church and go down the road to the next church and then go start taking communion with them without rectifying the sinful pattern in your life, then you got a problem. And Paul said that be careful about your heart's attitude when you go forward. And there's been times in my life where I've found myself embracing sinful patterns, sinful thoughts that were, that were, I was willfully embracing a sinful pattern in my life that I shouldn't have. And at that time, I did not feel like, I did not, I knew that I was not supposed to and go you, forward.
1: Did you feel that like you had turned your back on God? No, no. I just felt that my heart
0: was not in the right position at that time to go forward and take. That that I was willfully embracing some sinful patterns in my life that I didn't need to be doing. Now, I, it could be as little as like using that time of that day to reflect upon that. We at our church, we take communion every week. And one of the reasons for that is to
1: be accountable
0: that every week I'm going forward in front of all of my family and friends and saying, my life is right with Christ.
1: Well, going back to what the point you had started making there, if you sin and you take communion and you say you can bring a curse on yourself. Sickness
0: um, and death is what Paul says.
1: And that could sound like in doing that you have put yourself outside your salvation. No, no. no.
0: The covenant of salvation, of eternal life, the covenant of grace that is bestowed upon the child of God, the believer, Mm -hmm. is an eternal covenant. And it's God's blood that was shed so that you could be a part of that covenant. It had nothing to do with you. It was all him. But as a member of that covenant, I have been graciously given gifts. And privileges. Mm-hmm. One of the privileges is that I can walk in peace with my Savior now because He has forgiven me of my sins. Mm-hmm. And I can be happy and have joy. But there are times in my life where He does not turn away from the covenant, but I do. In my heart and in my mind. Mm-hmm. And in those times, I can lose the blessings. That, uh, not, I not lose the salvation, but lose the joy and the happiness. Have you not ever caught yourself living in a pattern of life, even as a child of God, where you were just miserable because you weren't praying, you weren't studying the Word, you weren't fellowshipping with the body, and you were willfully embracing a sinful lifestyle that, that you knew was wrong?
1: Yeah, most of my life.
0: All of us. That's yeah. exactly right. So one of the points of the communion is it's a time for you to reflect on what, how have I been this week. How? And, and again, my it's not my righteousness that gets me to heaven, but... The command for me to walk in his righteousness, to walk in his holiness, is a command of that covenant. Mm-mm. And he holds me responsible when I don't. Well, Jesus commanded them to do this in remembrance of me. Yes. He made, he made yes. It a requirement. Right. <laughs> so, I guess what, what I'm trying to say is this. There have been times in my life where I knew that I was willfully embracing something that was not pleasing to my Heavenly Father. And at those times, I didn't go forward and, and take the bread and the cup. It's not that I'm not a child of God. It's not that I'm not a member of the covenant. Well, but the point of his body being broken for me and his blood being shed for me is something that I should take in my daily walk, in my talk, and my way of life. And if I find myself not doing so, I need to be respectful to who he is and, and repent. Like, so repentance is not just for sinners and wicked people. The child of God should be repenting every... Like, our life should be a living example of what repentance looks like. Like, every day, we should be more practicing. and more sensitive to the sin within us. We should be more and more recognizing what we're doing wrong. we are
1: practicing not right. to
0: do... Okay. This woman was bent over. Now, if you guys remember, in the past, in our class, I've told you that there are spiritual applications to physical ailments. What would be the spiritual application for someone who is deaf? What would be the spiritual application of that?
1: Somebody sinned.
0: No. Like, if if someone is physically deaf, they cannot what?
1: Hear.
0: Hear. So if someone is spiritually deaf, they cannot hear hear what? God. God. They can't hear his word. If someone is physically blind, they cannot see. If someone is spiritually blind, it means they can't see the things of God. All right. If someone is crippled, they can't walk. If someone is spiritually crippled, what does it mean? They limp along. Right. Good. All right. What do you think it would mean to be bent over?
1: The weight of her sins was...
0: Well, the was weight depressing. of this evil spirit was on her. But the, the reality is, what's the opposite of being bent over? Standing up. Being all right. Being right in right standing with God. So there could be some spiritual application there. This woman was bent over Now, again, not every evil thing, well, not every physical malady that we have is brought on by sin. But some are. Not every uh, mental case is a a spiritual, uh, caused by a demon. It could be just caused by our broken minds. But a lot of them are. And one of the things that we've done in the, in the modern Western world is, is we don't have an appreciation for the spiritual ramifications that are going on around us all the time. If any of you ever get a chance to go and work in, in the, uh, uh, the mental health system, you will find very quickly that much of what is going on is spiritual in nature. I can tell you that most of the kids that I work with in mental health most of them were praying to Satan. They were they were, or listening to satanic music or listening like they they were dabbling in the darkness, and it was bringing on some of the mental mental sicknesses they were having. Uh, for an for an example, do you think that the devil would drive somebody to pour, towards addiction and drugs? Yes. Yeah, I guarantee you that almost every addict out there is being influenced by evil spirits, if not mm-hmm. possessed.
1: Just makes you more because of a slave. when you
0: take psychedelic drugs, you're opening up your mind and your soul to all kind mm-hmm. of influences. Yeah, and so it's real. It's very, very real. But the child of God needs to understand that yes, it is very real. But our God is greater, greater as he than me, than He is in the world. And so we don't have to live in fear. But again, here's a word we did last week in our class. But we do need to live in sobriety. What, do I, what did we say it meant to be sober? Be, uh, clear, think. clear thinking. Right. So we don't have to be afraid of the devil. But we do need to clearly realize that he does have an influence on our lives and the lives of people around us. All right. So this woman has been bent over double. And we find out later that it was for a lot of years, 18 years. Um, she had a sickness. She could not straighten up at all. Now, what do you think? Why do you think the scriptures points that out? She could not straighten up at all. What is it emphasizing there? She couldn't do it on her own. Her own ability. That's exactly right. Salvation is a gift from God. It's not something we do. It's something He does for us. And apart from God's grace, I would never stand up and walk aright. Amen. All right. So she's bent over. She could not straighten up at all. She is completely helpless in her physical state. One is because of a weak body. Two is because of a spiritual influence. And three, and most importantly, is so that God can be glorified in her sickness and weakness. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus is fixing the healer and show that he's the Son of God in front of a whole group of people, and it will glorify God. All right, so Jesus saw her. He called her over to him and said, woman, you are freed from your sickness. Now, what is the sickness that Jesus frees us from? When Jesus said, uh, uh, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. What is he setting us free from? Spiritual Disbelief. Unbelief. Sin. Unbelief is a sin. So, the Bible teaches us that each and every one of us in this room, before we become children of God, are slaves to sin. We are completely bent over, we are completely blind, we are completely deaf, we are full of sickness and leprosy, and we have no standing before God or before our fellow man. All right. But when God, Jesus steps in, what does he do? He takes away our sickness. He binds the devil and gets him away from us, and he sets us free to become the people that he has created us to be. See how that works? So, he said, Woman, come here. You're free from your sickness. He laid his hands on her and immediately she was made erect and began glorifying God. What is one of the first evidences that God is at work in your life? When you glorify you'll him. glorify him with your life. And I was just talking to some people this morning and said, and, you know, and the statement was made that if you are not walking in obedience and joy before god and neighbor and self then there is something wrong in your walk with god if you do not have the desire to be obedient to god's will then there's something wrong in your heart and you need to repent and you need to trust christ to help you to get right and i'm not talking to you guys; i'm talking to me
1: okay I am
0: talking to you guys but I'm Well it's
1: always open. a struggle isn't it
0: Yes it definitely is Good and there's that struggle again There's that working again Now watch what happens The synagogue officials got indignant Because Jesus healed on the Sabbath Now why are they mad Because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath Not supposed to work on the Sabbath Let me read something to you really quick This comes from the Jewish Mishnah Let me see if I, if I brought it with me I might not have brought it Uh, it's the, it's the Jewish, uh, tradition, and it, it's a list of the, here something. Here's a list of 39 things that you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath. <clears throat> uh, you're not to sow, plow, reap, bind sheaves, thrash, winnow, uh, uh, sort out unfit produce or crops from out of your hamper, grind, sift, knead, bake. You're not to shear wool. You're not to wash it. You're not to beat it. You're not to dye it. You're not to spin it. You're not to weave it. You can't make two loops. You can't weave with two threads. You can't separate two threads. You can't tie or untie anything. You can't sew two stitches. You can't tear in order to sew two stitches. You can't trap a deer. You can't slaughter it. You can't flay it. You can't salt it. You can't cure its hide. You can't scrape it and you can't cut it off. You can't write two letters or you can't erase two letters so that you can write two more you cannot build, you cannot tear down, you cannot put out a fire, you cannot kindle a fire. You cannot hit with a hammer, you cannot transport an object from one place to another. Lo, these are forty generative acts of labor less one. Thirty nine things that you are not to do on the Sabbath. Day. Is that from the
1: six hundred and fifty no, something? Yeah, there there's six hundred and
0: fifty yeah. Sabbath laws that you have so, to keep up with. So now the Pharisees that were teaching couldn't even make notes on that
1: or the phone or anything like that no they, they wouldn't have run well there's a there's a case where a family up in New York City set a crockpot up and something happened with the crockpot, but they set it up on Saturday or, or probably the Friday and it caught on fire during the night and you know but they had done that so they didn't have to cook on the Sabbath And well, they, it killed they, them all now well,
0: I literally only have three minutes left. I want to get a couple of things out to you right there. Okay. Is the Sabbath a part of the Ten Commandments? No. Yes. Yes.
1: yes. 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 yes right. is. What does
0: the word Sabbath mean? Sabbath, what does it mean? Holy day. So, day rest. So, rest. So, so, rest. They, Who said it? Who said, said it? it. Rest. Sabbath means to rest. To it, say, it means to stop. Okay? Now, the point of the Sabbath, did Did Jesus observe that Sabbath? Yes, Yes, very much so. If he'd have broke the Sabbath, then he would have broken Moses' law. He'd have been a sinner.
1: So he always
0: kept the Sabbath. right? Did he not set that as a a standard at creation? He worked for six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Rested. right. Now, did that mean that God gets tired? He got tired from creating everything. No. To rest means to stop. So he did that for us. So at the end of creation, when he had everything created, and it said he rested on the seventh day, what it means is... Done. It is finished. Everything is done that needs to be done. All right. Now, is he still at work today? Yes. Does he work every day? Yes. He's the one that caused the earth to rotate around the sun, etc., etc. Everything's in his hands and everything is uh, uh, affected by him. But the Sabbath means to rest, to stop. And God gave that to the people, his people, as a way to get them to recognize that you need, sometimes it's not about you. Shabbat, means stop. Don't do it. All right? And so often in our arguments about the Sabbath, we argue about, well, can I do this? Can I do that? What day is it? Uh, blah, blah, blah. And we, the reality is we're missing the point. The point is it's not about you. God set up a pattern for you for one day of the week to stop living for you and rest in Him. All right? The same thing applies to our salvation. In Hebrews, Paul says there is a sabbat, a rest, that remains to those who are in Christ. Well, what does that mean? My salvation is not about what I do. It's about what he has done. But on the Sabbath day, if I'm really on the Sabbath day, what am I going to do? I'm going to rest. I'm going to yield obedience to what he's told me to do, which is stop. Well, the same thing goes for my salvation. If I am saved by God, then I am resting in Christ. And it's no longer about what I do, but what he does in me. If he is at work in me, we've already learned what's going to happen. It's coming out in me. All right? So a Sabbath rest is resting in what he has done, not what I'm doing. And so Jesus gets into an argument with these, the religious crowd... Because they're saying, oh, you're doing work on the Sabbath day. Right? And what happened was they took all of these laws, these traditions that they made up and turned the Sabbath, the rest, into a work.
1: Well, it doesn't say on there, can oh, I heal on the Sabbath, it. does it?
0: You see what, is that, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that go to church on Sunday because i got to go to church. They've turned it into a work. This is a labor that I do. This is something i got to do. Instead of, this is something I get to do. If I'm resting in Christ, I'm happy about getting up and going to church. But even we as Christians can turn the Christian Sabbath, which is Sunday, into a work. Look at me. I went to church today. You didn't. You should just be happy to be
1: in the in the house of the Lord. Right.
0: You see how that works. So what does it mean to rest? And what we're not going to get through this today. We'll try next week to, to just to quickly review and get through it. But the point is this: Jesus came in and showed them what it really looks like to rest in Christ. What does it look to like to rest in Christ? That woman knows what it looks like to rest in Christ. She is now walking upright and she is full of joy and happiness. You see? She's living under the blessings of God. And here are the very men in this room who claim that they are the ones that are living under the blessings of God and they're the ones the furthest from it. Because why? Because they're not resting in Christ. They're not resting in the truth of God's Word. They're not resting in God's promises. They're resting in their traditions and their their culture and what they think. What they feel. And so it's very important for us to learn to rest in Christ and not in the world around us, not to not to get so bound up in our traditions that we can't enjoy the work of God. I'll, I'll finish with this, and then we'll pray. <clears throat> I, um, for a long time, I used to argue all the time uh, at my new church that I go to. Well, not a new church. I've been there five years. Um, we don't use hymn books. <clears throat> we put the 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 notes are up on uh, the words are up on the screen. All right and I know people that have left churches because they don't have handbooks anymore they put those up on the screen we've never done it like that before you see now the truth of the matter I've been to some churches that have the the words up on the screen and those words up on that screen had nothing to do with worshiping God sounded like a love song from an and b station (laughs) you all understand what I'm saying Mm -hmm. It's the words that are up there and it's the heart attitude of the people that are singing the worship songs to God that is pleasant in the sight of God if they're proper. And it doesn't matter if you're reading them out of a hymn book or off of a wall. It doesn't matter if you're just singing them straight from the heart and missing a few words. Remember, God is looking at your heart because your heart is a reflection of who you truly are. And so, yes, I know people that would... If you read any other Bible than the King James Bible, then you're reading a heretical uh, book. That's a tradition. It's a tradition that they've held since 1611 when King James authorized the printing of that version. There are plenty of good translations out there. NIV, There's plenty of good translations out there. But there is that group of people that says if you don't read my Bible, you're reading the wrong Bible. Well, so I was told like a guy who said like there's books that outside of it's, it's, the, the Bible mentions them but they're not in the Bible.
1: The Book of Enoch, Jasher. The Bible references them books. Yeah.
0: Those, they're not officially part of the. They're family. called apocryphal books. They're, and they're, it's, it's the reason that they're not included is because they have error in them. There's error in them. They're, they're, there's nothing in the world wrong with reading them and enjoying them. They just have, there's some of them that have error. <clears throat> And uh, we really got to close because I know they they got things. But let's um, go ahead and close with a word of prayer. We'll try to pick up on that next week, okay? Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Um, Thank you for helping us to uh, to walk upright. And Lord, I pray if there be anybody in this room or within the sound of my voice uh, that is still being tormented by evil spirits or uh, by bound in the slavery of tradition and and self-will and self-righteousness that you will use your word to, to open their eyes to your truth. Help them to receive that truth, believe that truth, and walk in that truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.